memorial tribute we're going to have. And they did great with this last night. Now, I know it's 10 o'clock. It's not, I've been up all day, so I need you to go with me in this. Here we go. Ready? The guy comes out. Uzziah hasn't come in yet, and he's, he's the guy warming the crowd up. So it's, give me a U-Z-Z. Give me the I-A-H. Louder, give me a U-Z-Z. Give me the I-A-H. What's that spell? What's that spell? Who's the king? Yeah, somebody else last night, isn't Jesus the king yet? Those of you who go to Sunday school, isn't Jesus the answer to everything? Yeah, Uzziah's Memorial Museum actually never gets open. We just, Grant just read that for us. And we saw what happened there where he, what we're going to teach you today is not how to be successful, but if you want to screw up your family, screw up your business, screw up your church, here's how to, the, the title here, how to epically fail. It's a case study here, right here for us. Uh, you can see here the, the backstory in this, If uh, the first part of 2 Chronicles 26 says there, Uzziah was, chapter, thir- chapter 26, verse 3, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother was Jechaliah from Jerusalem. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Uzziah sought God during the days of Zechariah, who taught him to fear God. Quick note on that. Every single one of us needs some people to come alongside of us that teach us to fear God. Remember how old he was when he, took, when he became king? 16. He's not 26, 36, 46. He's 16. Every single one of us need some people to come alongside of us to go, hey, here's what it means to love God, to fear God, to obey God. Student ministries here at Crosspoint. We need some of you parents, some of you adults to help our kids in this crazy zany world they're living in Learn what it means to know God and fear God, to work with our kids' ministries here. If you're not yet signed up on a team here, people, I was talking to you last night after our Saturday services, how do you know what you're supposed to do? I said, well, if there's a need out there, that's what you're supposed to do. And you'll be surprised sometimes. You'll jump into serve or help somewhere and go, I'm not sure about that, and go, dang, I kind of like that. It's fun. But you never do it if you just go, I'm too busy or that's not my thing. So jump into one of our kids' teams. When you do that, it makes a massive difference for those kids, teaching our kids uh, for years and years what it means to fear God. And then it says here in verse 5, and I had this marked up in my Bible, and as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. You know what that is right there? For those who paid attention in literature class, it's foreshadowing. Because it means like, hmm, as long as, not like he sought the Lord his whole life, but as long as he did, things went great. Foreshadowing the time that something went south that we just read about, that Grant just read for us. And now we're going to see all the crazy, crazy success that God gave him. Uzziah declared war on the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabna, and Ashdod. Didn't just conquer them, just demolish their cities. Then he built new towns in the Ashdod area and the parts of the Philistines. He's a Jewish king in enemy territory, wiping out their cities and building new cities in their place. God helped him in his wars against the Philistines, his battle with the Arabs of Gur, and his wars with the Mayunites. The Mayunites paid annual tribute to him, and his fame spread even to Egypt. For he became, and I just marked in my Bible, very powerful, very successful. 
We're also going to see some things that he did. He was kind of a renaissance man in terms of he got technology, he got economics and prosperity, he got art, he got uh, working in the fields. Uzziah built fortified towers in Jerusalem with the corner gate, the valley gate, the angle, and the wall. In other words, he makes sure his city is safe. He also constructed forts in the wilderness. and He didn't just protect his capital city. Like he built a fort in Temecula to protect us from the people from Elsinore. I don't know. Sorry if you're from Elsinore. That's terrible, isn't it? No, but he, he built things in outlying areas to keep them safe and secure and dug many water cisterns because he kept great herds of livestock in the foothills of Judah and on the plains. You know what that means? He's loaded. He's not just kind of doing good and whatever. He's, he has more money than he possibly needs or could ever spend. He was also a man who loved the soil. He loved to get in there and farm and do it. So technology he did. He got politics. He got economics. He loved the, the work. He had many workers who cared for his farms and vineyards, both on the hillsides and the fertile valleys. And now we see some things about his military, his political leadership. Uzziah had an army of well-trained warriors ready to march into battle unit by unit. This army had been mustered and organized by Jael, the secretary of the army, and his assistant, Masiah. They were under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officials. These regiments of mighty warriors were commanded by 2,600 clan leaders. You know what that means? 2,600 separate divisions in his army of massive amounts of people. And we're going to see who these guys are now. The army consisted of 307,500 men, all elite troops. Not just the enlisted guys. This is like the Rangers, the Navy SEALs. These are the elite of the elite, which means he's got a much bigger army than just this. It says also, they were prepared to assist the king against any enemy. Uzziah provided the entire army with shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and sling stones. Back in those days, most kings didn't have the ability to do that. You had to go get that stuff yourself. He's providing it all for them. He built structures on the walls of Jerusalem, designed by experts to protect those who shot arrows and hurled large stones from the towers and the corners of the wall. In other words, not just stuff to go out there and with cannons to get guys out here. The big structures of, uh, of military technology back then were the big catapult things. They put massive, big, huge stones and boulders on the stuff and then catapult them to the enemy to keep the enemy not so they could lay siege to the city, but they can't even get close to the city. Fabulously wealthy, fabulously successful. His, and I have this marked in my Bible, his fame spread far and wide, for the Lord gave him marvelous help, and he became very powerful. He became very successful. God's not against you being successful. There's this idea sometimes in Christianity and stuff I hear, well, you know, God doesn't like things that are big and successful. That's too much money. That's too big of a church. That's too big of a business. I hear people say that all the time. God, want, God, God doesn't care. He wants to make you successful and wealthy and boom, be crazy successful. Um, having a bigger army, a bigger church, more money, all that is amazing. And he has all of that. And then there's the big honking butt in the story. Look at, well, Grant just read it for us. But when? But when he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. And Grant just read it for us. He goes into the temple to offer incense. Now we hear that and think, okay, well, what's the big deal, man? It wasn't like he did like a King David thing. You know, David who gets successful 
and then commits adultery, gets her pregnant, tries to cover it up and get the guy murdered, the ex-husband, get the, the, her current husband murdered. He doesn't do any of that. Kind of, he just wants to go into the church and the temple. He lo- Remember, he loves God. He fears God. He's excited about God. I want to do that thing in the temple the priests all get to do. And God had made it very, very clear. You can, uh, in my Bible, I have it noted here, Exodus chapter 30. It tells us very explicitly, God had said, kings, leaders, the only people who are supposed to go into that temple, in the inside of the temple, was the priests. Now, they, they, everybody went to the temple. They had the big, huge courtyard. They would gather together for gatherings out there. But inside what they called the whole, most holy place, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is the Ark of the Covenant. Only the high priest went in there. And God made that very clear. Only the high priest once a year. Then outside of that, there was a place called the holy place that had three kind of areas there. One of them was called the altar of incense. And God had made it very, very clear. The only people, the only people who can ever burn incense on this altar are the, the priests. And, and Azariah, when he goes in to confront him, tells him, hey, man, you know the deal on this. Zechariah, your buddy told you all about this. What are you doing in here? And so he gets in there to offer altar. He gets confronted, he gets ticked, and he gets leprosy. And it says it happens like he's in there and he's just getting all mad. Who you tell me what to do? I'm the king. I just want to serve God and love God. You don't know my heart. Who are you to judge me, you priest? And he starts to offer the, keep offering the incense there. And all of a sudden, on his forehead all at once, leprosy comes out. And his legacy was there was no museum, no memorial for Uzziah. In fact, it tells us he couldn't even bury with the kings. He lived in isolation the rest of his life. And on his tombstone over here, our little exhibit today in our Strange But True series on his tombstone where it listed who he was. He had leprosy. Now here's the crazy thing, guys. Uzziah was probably, if you look at the stats and study this, probably the third greatest king Israel ever had. David was the greatest king. Solomon was crazy great. Uzziah would have gone down in history as the greatest king. Yet we know about him. Not all the fantastic accomplishments. It's like, look what he did to screw the whole thing up. The phantom menace to your success. The thing out there that everybody in the world tells you, man, you're awesome, you're amazing, just be proud and go for it and keep charging the hill. The phantom menace of success. Uh, here's the deal. If you want to screw up your family, make a mess out of your marriage, out of your, out of your business, out of the, the, the job you have, whether you're a teacher or whatever you are, if you want to mess it up, the phantom menace here is pride. It's the menace of success. Now, we should chat for a second here because there's a difference between pride and arrogance. You do some things from time to time, and you go, you should feel proud about that. Like, I'm proud of the fact that we did here with our family, with this remodel project we did, proud of the fact with our kids and how well they're doing. Nothing wrong with being having some good, healthy sense of pride and accomplishments. Where pride moves into arrogance is when you look around and go, okay, it's awesome because I'm awesome. Look what I did. And nobody ever say that in church, right? But all the time, guys, this is what Facebook and Instagram are all about. Look how awesome I am. Look how awesome, look how fantastic, look how amazing I am. And it's think because we're so awesome. There's some verses I want you to see here. Find uh, Proverbs. We're here in Chronicles. Go to the right in your Bibles. Look at Proverbs. Um, on your mobile device or your Bible, if you go past Psalms, you book the Proverbs, Proverbs 27, 21. 
says this, fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. And when I first read that verse many, many years ago, I thought, because I'd grown up going to church, and we, went, we did Bible studies on the trials and adversity, and they refine our lives and test us and reveal if we're really following God or not, and that trials and difficult times test us and reveal who we are. The Bible is going to make it very clear. The biggest test of your faith may not be adversity. It may be prosperity. It may be prosperity. In fact, God had warned his people about this, and he warns us. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, find that, Deuteronomy chapter 8, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the beginning of what they call the Old Testament. What's happening here is Solomon is giving his farewell, I'm sorry, Solomon, Moses is giving his farewell address to the country. He goes, I'm turning the reins over to Joshua, I'm about to go, he says, and God's going to bring you into a land that's going to be amazing, and you're going to get blessed, it's going to be crazy, fantastic, you're going to love this place. Just stay faithful to God, he says, and you're going to be successful and build homes and build cities and all that. Look at verse 8 of chapter, I'm sorry, verse 11 of chapter 8. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds and 401ks have become very large, and your silver and gold have multiplied, along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from the land, the land of slavery and the land of Egypt. See, pride is one of those things that's so, so crazy subtle because, I mean, things are going great, things grow amazing. i got some quotes for you today. I'm going to put some of them on the screen here. A guy named John Ruskin said it this way, Pride lies at the bottom of all great mistakes. You study history and go, how did that family screw up? How did that church screw up? If you can drill down and get down to what, where, where did it start, it was pride. Then a guy named G. Campbell Morgan, a Christian author from a, couple, from a while back, says it this way. The history of men affords persistent witness to the subtle perils which are created by prosperity. More men are blasted by it than adversity. Prosperity always puts the soul in danger of pride of the heart lifted up, and then he quotes Proverbs, and pride ever goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Another guy said it this way, conceit is the quicksand of success. When you start to think, look who we are, and here, <laughs> you guys have seen this, right? Um, people will go out there and do something great and amazing, say, just do what we do, and you can be just as successful as we are. Th those of you that have great kids, be careful as you don't think, look how awesome, we're just great parents. Because I've seen this happen over and over again. Uh, a parent will go and write, uh, put seminars together and write books about how your kids can turn out amazing if you just do it how we do it. And don't miss the fact that there might have been some other things in there that you just got blessed and lucky with that. C.S. Lewis says it this way, pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment, or even common sense. G.K. Chesterton, a famous uh, columnist uh, back in the day, said it this way, if I had only one sermon to preach, it would be against pride. Now think about that. Not about the gospel, not about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now I'm not sure he's right on that, but he, I think he saw 
over and over and over again how pride just jacked things up that, that could have potential to be wildly crazy successful. Several years ago, uh, I read some books. Uh, he's not a Christian. I don't, I don't think he's a Christian. I don't know. He doesn't really say one way or the other. Uh, Jim Collins is a famous author in the business world. He wrote a book called Built to Last and Good to Great and How to Build Your Business and Be Successful. He's from Stanford. He's not writing books as a Christian author trying to convince people to follow Christ or follow the, uh, the principles of leadership in the Bible. I came across a book at the airport several years ago called How the Mighty Fall. And in it, he takes a very measured, very clinical, statistical approach to saying, okay, let's compare companies in different areas and find the companies that are successful. Not, this is not how to, how to become great. This is once you become great, once you have reached the peak of where you are, whether it's in your family or your, whether your academic success, whether it's in, in your health and fitness and appearance, you've reached the, the peak. He said, we looked at, he said, what we did, we compared two different companies, uh, several different companies in different industries. We looked at one, one company that stayed, was there and stayed successful and looked at the, another parallel company that just spiraled down and then oblivion and like they disappeared. And, and he does uh, several things in it. But in the book, he, he gives like five markers, five key ways that people screw up success. And you know what his number one thing is? Pride. Now, again, he's not writing as a Christian. He's not writing to convince you to follow Christ or humility and all that stuff. He's just saying, look, it's pride fueled by success that made these guys get the whole thing messed up. In the book, uh, a quote here, he talks about the idea of luck and chance and just being blessed. He says this, luck and chance play a role in many successful outcomes, and those who fail to acknowledge the role luck or divine providence may have played in their success and thereby overestimate their own merit and capabilities have succumbed to pride. Look at this. The best leaders we've studied never presume they've reached ultimate understanding of all the factors that brought them success. For one thing, listen to this, they retain a somewhat irrational fear that perhaps their success stems in large part from luck, fortuitous circumstances, or divine providence. He recognized, look, and these are guys that are like, this is like Walmart kind of companies. These guys, whether they're Christians or not, they'll go, look, we might have just got lucky here. And so when you do that, you stay hungry. You don't just coast and think, oh, you know, we got this thing. We have superior products. We have superior people. Because once you start to think, we got superior products, superior people, we're just a superior company, you know what happens? You coast, and then you get blindsided by a change in the culture, a change in the business community, things like that. And then... The best quote I read on Pride this week was this. A peacock who struts his stuff shows his backside to the world. So that's the dangers of pride. We have a case study here with Uzziah. How he messed the whole thing, wildly successful, and messed the whole thing up. Because when he became powerful, he became proud. What I want to take some time now to do with you guys is let's, let's do a checkup here. To come into like the spirit, like Jesus, the God, take the scriptures here and do a checkup on us. Like when you go to get your physical and they do run the different blood tests and different tests and instruments and stuff like that. I'm looking at four or five key indicators that might be symptoms in you where there might be, might be uh, pride. There's a, a famous, well, he's not so much, I don't know how famous he is to you guys. His name is O'Shea Jackson. 
Anybody who O'Shea Jackson is in here? Yeah. Also known as Ice Cube. Famous, famous philosopher and theologian. In a, I don't know this song. I've never heard it. I guess it's a filthy song, but he's got a great lyric, and it says, Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. And I know what's happening today. Some of you are here today going, look, I, can't, I'm, I know some people who need to hear this. I'm going to go download this or send them a link to this, and you should do that. And you think, but I don't think I really have a problem with, with you know, pride and stuff like that. You know what the number one indicator you have a problem with pride is? You don't think you have one. You think that's something that somebody else needs. I'm like, my husband needs to hear this, or my ex, or my boss, or my kids. This is check yourself, not check themselves. Look in the mirror on this. Don't point it out there to everybody else. The, the number one uh, symptom that you might have a problem with pride is uh, being invincible and entitled. This is, what, yeah, this is what Uzziah does. He thinks, man, look at all the things I've done. I mean, I'm so successful. This doesn't apply to me. And I know what the Bible says, and I know I should probably, but, you know, come on. I'm just burning some incense in the temple. I'm not committing adultery or killing anybody. Come on. And then a sense of entitlement, like, like who's going to stop me? See, and when you're young and struggling, all kinds of people stop you. You know why? Because you're young and dumb and haven't been successful yet. What happens when you start to achieve a level of success, and you guys have seen this, maybe not in your life yet, but in people you know, where they start to think like, hey, those rules don't apply to me. And you'll be in companies where there'll be rules and policies that apply to everybody else but the people at the top. And they don't live that out because, you know, come on, I worked hard and I struggled hard. That's all for you guys down there. It's so hard to confront and stop people or organizations that are wildly successful. Because, like, who am I to go challenge that guy? That's the first one, is being entitled and invincible. Think, oh, the rules don't apply to me. The second one is what we're going to call adrenaline addiction. Adrenaline addiction. And this might not be a big problem for you. This might not be one for you. But if you've reached a level of success in your family, you've experienced this, right? If you've done a home improvement project and you go, it's done, you know what happens in you? Adrenaline. It's exciting. Which is why HGTV works. Why Home Depot stays in business. Because we don't get our house built and get it done. Okay, we're done now. We're going to paint our bedroom nine times. Because we don't, like that color taupe there needs to be a, a different, different version of taupe or something. And it's just because it's fun and exciting. Nothing wrong with it probably. That sense of excitement, that adrenaline that comes from that. But here's what will happen after a while. If you're not careful, if you reach a level of success in your family, wherever it is might be, there's this I'm bored. I want a challenge. I want something new. It tells, it tells the story. Alexander the Great, at the age of 30 years old, he looked around at the world and wept because there was no more countries to conquer for him. Like, what do I do now? David and Bathsheba, that story of like, the king of Israel who committed adultery and then murdered the husband of the woman he committed adultery with. It tells us that the, the beginning of that says at, at the springtime, when the kings are supposed to be out in the battlefield with their troops, uh, David stayed home. You know why? I don't need to do that. 
And then because he wasn't out doing what he's supposed to do, this is my whole deal, like men need to go to bed tired every night. Men don't go to bed tired every night, they get in trouble. They do stupid, dumb, ridiculous things. Um, he gets bored and he does what he wants. Uzziah, he's reached levels of success, unparalleled success, and decides, I've built enough forts, I've got enough money. I, the temple, let's go in there, that would be awesome. When God had made it very clear, that's not for you to do. It's a little bit like uh, <laughs> there's a Jeff Bezos, the Amazon guy who started Amazon selling books to people. And now, you know, their motto, right, is to sell everything to everyone. I think he's reached success. You know why? I think he's bored right now. You know what Jeff Bezos is doing right now? Building rockets. Building, and nothing wrong with building rockets. I, but I think it's, I, here's the, I heard a comedian say it this way. It's this idea, he says, I'm, you know, I'm spending crazy amounts of money, all this thing to go into space so that someday you can go into space. And my reaction is, what if I don't want to go into space? I have no, again, it's adrenaline. So I want some new challenge, some new exciting thing. And there's probably some good things that happen with that. But you've got to be careful. You start crossing some lines and, and, and pursuing things you have no business doing. In the business world, they call this the undisciplined pursuit of more. Let's expand and expand and expand. Like maybe, we're, maybe that's somebody else should do that. And then it gets in the moral world. Uh, we see this happen, guys, with people who are wildly successful. We know their names. You've seen the pictures, so I'm not trying to trot out dirty laundry from stories you don't know. Uh, but years ago, in the last 10, 15 years, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Tiger Woods, the peak of success. And like Tiger Woods, got a great family. He's married to a woman. And again, I don't look at her, I don't, don't, I, I don't know this by experience. What the surveys tell us, she's easily in the top 10 most beautiful women in the world in terms of supermodel and all that kind of stuff. And he cheats on her. And I don't know if you looked at it, the pictures of the people he cheated with her on is like, dude, you traded for that? You know what it is? Adrenaline. It's a little dirty. It's a little nasty. Like, I'm not supposed to do it. It's kind of fun and kind of trashy. And they had adrenaline addiction. You just wanted something new, something forbidden, something like that. I've seen you guys here in our city, and you guys know the stories, if you pay attention at all, to famous and semi-famous pastors who have built successful, massively successful ministries, reaching people for Christ. You know what happened? They got bored. And they ended up making a mess out of things, imploded people's lives by the thousands because they got bored. Now, those two things, entitlement uh, and, and that kind of stuff, and then adrenaline addiction, pay attention to that. The third one here is the most important one. Because the deal is, is this. From time to time, you're going to do something stupid, and you're not going to know it's stupid or it's wrong. You're like, well, what's the big deal here? The third one is unwillingness to listen to submit or to listen or submit to correction. From time to time, like Uzziah, you're going to do something stupid, be tempted. And somebody's going to go, hey, what are you doing? It might be your spouse. It might be a buddy of yours. It might be, wait for it, your child. And you know, come on. And um, I, I've talked to people in the business world. I've talked to people even at several churches here in our valley where things imploded and went south. And these guys told me, said, look, Steve, we saw stuff going on. And it was so successful. We, we, we should have said something and they tried, tried to say something. But come on, great stuff is happening. And so because of that, they said 
nothing. And then when they tried to say something, the person who they tried to correct just went, scoreboard. All these people coming. You know why they're coming? This is the arrogant leader thinks they're coming because I'm, I'm a great leader. I'm a great, look at the messages I bring. Look at the creativity. Look at all this stuff. They start to believe uh, all the posts about them. Azariah and some brave men go in, have a difficult conversation, say, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it says that Uzziah rages out against them. It's the classic thing that you guys maybe have seen from time to time where somebody says, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And he does that and leprosy goes out there. He didn't get struck with leprosy when he went to offer the incense, right? No, no. It was when he didn't submit to a correction. He didn't get in trouble because he did something wrong. He got in trouble because he didn't listen to when somebody tried to correct him. I'm reminded of this story. I heard. I don't know where it's sourced from. Heard it years and years ago, where um, it was in a terminal at some airport, some famous airport, and all this ruckus is going on around the like, place where they get seat assignments and tickets. And this guy's at the counter there, and everybody in this terminal is hearing this guy going, "Well, this roars and ruckus." And finally, it's like, "Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am?" yelling at this lady. And finally, the lady behind the counter said, attention, ladies and gentlemen in the terminal, uh, we have a code red, code red 57. We have a gentleman here at the counter at United Airlines who does not know who he is. Can someone please come and identify him for us? The tricky part, whenever you go to confront people, and we need to have some brave people. Some of you need, maybe what you need here today is not so much, how do I make sure I stay humble? That might be a key thing here. From time to time, God's going to call you to go have a clarifying conversation with somebody. Say, wait a minute, pal, what are you doing? Can, can I tell you right now? It never goes well the first time. I've been a pastor now for a bunch of years. I've had a bunch of conversations back in that office with people here. Every single time, Two things happen. Sometimes they happen like they'll either be like they'll they'll be a martyr and they'll be a victim and oh poor me you don't understand like all the sympathy and trot out how they weren't potty trained correctly or their current spouse or their ex or their kid whatever making all kinds of excuses for things or huh, they'll become a bully. Who do you think you are, pal? You're judging me, you self righteous little jerk. And sometimes I've watched this happen one time with me. I was confronting a guy about some really just wrong stuff that was going on and he got all upset and he was kind of I'm so sorry whatever whatever I said well, that's fine Greg I'm glad you're working through this but come on you've got to go follow through on some of these things you got to do and like that he turned on me and started attacking this is what's going to happen you need to be brave to do it hardly ever goes well the first time because what will happen is when we don't have the unwill- when we have unwillingness to listen or submit to correction number four is we duck dodge and deflect when somebody calls us out at some level, on something in our life. We duck, dodge, deflect. How do we respond when God calls us out? And the worst is when somebody else calls us out. When somebody comes alongside and says, what are you doing? What we'll tend to do sometimes is minimize and go, it's not that big a deal. Or we'll rationalize it. We'll somehow think, well, the end justifies the means. Look, I know, Steve, I know, I know, but. I know, but. I know, but. I know it. I know it. Know it. Know it to death. I know, but and it's like if you don't understand how awesome this could be for my company or for our family. I know. I, mm, I know it's not wise, and I know it's mm, whatever. I know, but and then here's the classic one too. To the people say is, 
God knows my heart. And I hear that from people all the time, and I throw up in my mouth a little bit every time. Yeah, you know, God does know your heart. That's why I'm talking to you, because you're a moron right now, pal. You're going to wreck your family. You're going to wreck your company. Or we'll get defensive. We'll make excuses. I was tired. I was drunk. I had too much to drink. You understand my jerk boss, my jerk spouse. Make excuses and rationalize it. Sometimes go attack or accuse them. Uh, the worst part is when you get, in front of, get confronted by somebody who you know you're better than they are. And nobody ever say that, right? Because that's pride. But <laughs> like, who do you think you are confronting me? I know your story, man. Learn to go, hey, I should, mm, be careful. His legacy is he became a leper. Now, the, the truth is here, guys, today, we are not doing a, a message today on how to build a successful family, how to build a successful church, how to build a successful company, how to build success into your life. There's great stuff in the Bible that tells us about that. I've discovered in my life <laughs> that one of the best things I can do is to watch what other people have done to screw it up and don't repeat their mistakes. That's honestly most of the battle. It's not about the crazy breakthrough product or the crazy breakthrough strategies like, well, here's the dumb things people did. Uh, years and years ago, uh, a guy... Uh, who was like a mentor to me in my early days of ministry and faith and all that, he said, look, man, people have already paid the dumb tax for you. Don't pay it twice. Let somebody else pay it for you. You can learn from the dumb things they did and don't bring that dumb thing back into your life again. Now, that's the diagnosis. Now here's the treatment plan. What are we going to do to treat ourselves now that we kind of know what the problems are, whether, whether you've been successful in your company in your career, you got a lot of money, your family's going great, your health and fitness, and you're like, you're all yoked and looking great and all that kind of stuff. Whatever it might be, uh, here's how to, how to be successful and humble. God, doesn't, God wants you successful. He's, he's not a problem with this idea that, well, God hates the things that are big and growing successful. That's not true at all. He loves that kind of stuff. Here's the first one. Stay under authority. Stay under authority. Ultimately, it means you stay under God's authority. Solomon, one of the greatest kings the world had ever seen. At that time, it says he, had the mo he was the wealthiest guy on planet Earth at that point. Crazy wise and all that stuff. And he recognized, I have kids here that are going to grow up and become kings someday. And they're going to be wildly successful and wildly wealthy. And in the book of Proverbs, he gives some lessons on leadership and how to handle conflict and sexual temptation, all that. But you know what he says over and over and over and over again? He says, fear God, fear God, fear God, fear God, fear God. I think it's like 19, 20 times in the book of Proverbs he keeps telling them that. You know why he says that? Because it's going to be real easy when you get successful to go be impressed with yourself. Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. He says, Shh, don't do that. Stay impressed with God. Recognize all of the success. The success you've been blessed with is not something you've achieved. You've received it. Now, some of you go, but, but I worked hard. Yeah, but do you recognize you get to live in a world where you don't have to go get water from a well somewhere and boil it? You turn on spigots and metal devices in your house, and you have hot and cold water. Your refrigerator will make ice for you. Crazy stuff like that. You get, you get to live in this 
world. So at some point you go, look, man, I got I to re- receive that. There's a, a classic line, too, that we have um, delegated authority, not ultimate authority. We need to stay under that authority. And, and the, the line is this. If you see a turtle on a post, what's the one thing you know? He didn't get there himself, right? Some of you going, I was a turtle. I just crawled up that post. Mm, 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 mm. No, you didn't. You got there because God put you there because other people blessed God, put people in your life to lift you up and put you there. Second thing to do to stay successful and humble is number two, wash some feet. The night before Jesus was betrayed and crucified, he says he knew that God had put everything under his hand. He knew who he was. He knew what was going to happen. Took off the outer robes and did the slave job, the nasty, gross, grimy job of washing people's feet. What this means is to do the low-level work that no one else wants to do. And he does that in that case to be seen by these guys. You go, look, guys, you know who I am. I'm the guy in charge of things. I'm at the top of the org chart. I'm willing to go all the way to the bottom here to serve you. He says, we need to do those same kind of things. Sometimes you do those kind of low-level things, especially if you're a parent or a boss, and you do those on purpose to be seen. Because it sets an example. Far more than having policy on servant leadership, what if you'd actually just served people and did crazy stuff that nobody else wants to do? The Bible is also going to tell us this, though. Here's the great one. If you're successful and you've reached a level of prominence or success in your life, is do the nasty, gritty, grimy stuff that no one else wants to do and don't let anybody know about it. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said this way. He says, look, do those kind of, don't do your acts of righteousness to be seen by people. He said, do it in such a way that nobody knows. You know why? Because here's what will happen. If you're in confession here today. <laughs> um, you re- I'm at the, and in our church, I'm the senior pastor here. So if I'm on org chart, I'd be the top. But here's what will happen is you'll go out and do stuff to serve people. And if you're not careful, you do stuff to serve people. You look around going, look how awesome I am. Look how awesome I'm serving people today. I'm a servant leader. And all of a sudden you become arrogant about your humility. Look how humble I am. What you have to do is do some stuff that nobody else is going to see. It's not going to make a blog. It's nobody's going to post about it, tweet about it, make a TikTok on it. Nobody's going to see it or know it. Be a good thing to do, to just do the low-level stuff. It'll, it'll keep you grounded, keep you humble. Number three, um, get careful when you get bored. Now some of you are going, I haven't been bored in a long time. I got young children in my house, so I get that. <laughs> It, but when you get, start to get bored, when you start to go like I've reached a level of like, okay, we got this company up and going, we're doing great stuff, what happens here is you start being hungry, you start to coast a little bit, and you start to think, ah, I want something else to do, I want something fun to do to, to break up the routine. This is what happens, uh, hmm, how affairs happen, usually. Been married for a while? You know, it's not like it was honeymoon night anymore. Some things have happened and challenges get in there and stuff like that. And there's that idea of maybe I can go out there and just, hmm, over there. I'm just bored with this right now. So get really careful when you get bored. And number four and five are going to show you how to be careful and get careful when you get bored. Number four is order people to order you around. This is not the classic thing you see in accountability groups is (laughs) the silly little things is give people permission to confront you. You know who's going to do that when you say, hey, I'm giving you guys permission to speak into my life. You know who's going to do that? Nobody. 
You know why? Because nobody wants to. You have to, kill, you have to look at people. You have to look at Mike or Kevin or whoever it might be and say, hey, here's the deal. You're a trusted friend of mine. You know me really well. I am not asking you. I am demanding from you that when you see me start to mess up over here and you know me well enough to know what my temptations are, you got to call me out on that stuff. You have to give people orders to do that. And it's tricky because there's times, like I said, hmm, you're not going to want to hear from people, but you have to have some people around you. Now, again, this is not for those of you that are pit bulls for Jesus. This is not your job to go out and give people orders. This is when you have two or three trusted friends in your life that can speak into your life, that love you enough and care about you enough to say, hey, pal, mm-mm. like Azariah did that day with Uzziah. He cared about him. He was like, you got to get out of here, pal. This is not going to go well for you. Um, and this is super important, especially when things are going great. I call it passing the sniff test. Not just like there's like, that's wrong and that's right. You can some the, the obvious stuff. It's like the hmm. Like when you open your refrigerator and go, I don't know what's wrong in there, but something's not right in there right now. With a few people, you need people that they sniff around at your life. And number five, follow orders. Not just order people to order you, but follow orders. And it's easy to follow orders when you like them, right? This is follow orders even when you disagree and don't like it. With people that care about you enough, that can call you out in your stuff, to, to, especially when you don't like it. Now look, there's nothing wrong with being successful and, and wanting to achieve all this great success. Jesus comes here to be successful, to be the king of the world. Over in the book of Philippians, there's a great little song they were singing in the early church, so find that. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. It'll be up on the screen here as well. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul's talking about this, this challenge of people that are squabbling and just making a mess out of things with relationships and pride. And he says this in verse 5 of chapter 2. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him. Here's the important thing is, you live in a world that's telling you, elevate yourself, elevate yourself, elevate yourself. If you fight for the bottom and serve and serve and serve, you know what happened is? God will elevate you. You don't have to do it yourself. And then you can just enjoy the success you have. It says, therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, last line there, to the glory of God the Father. What I'm telling you today is be crazy successful or be middle successful. But whatever you do, he says, do it to the glory of God. And then you can receive that success from God. It doesn't have to enslave your life. And you get, end up shipwrecking the whole thing because you thought it was all about you. Our band's going to come up right now. going to give you guys a chance to respond to this. Um, we're going to sing some songs. And again, on a day like this, we're talking about humbling ourselves before God and recognize God's great and we're not. Uh, in the words of the modern-day prophet Fat Boy Slim, I'm going to praise you like I should. We're going to praise God like we should. Some of you going, I don't even know the song. Look it up. It's awesome. Um, we're going to give you a chance to receive prayer today. Some of you are here today and maybe you came in carrying some stuff. 
some challenges and difficulties in your life, our prayer team is at the back of the house. Uh, and as the lights go down here in a couple minutes, as we're singing these songs, wander back there. Just talk to them for a bit. Have them pray for you. And then we're going to receive communion today. Communion is in the four corners of the room. It's bread and juice, symbolizing the body and the blood of Jesus. And I love the idea that Jesus goes to the cross willingly. It says, for the joy set before him. And the joy set before him was us, certainly. He loves us. I think the joy set before me because he knew God's going to elevate him to the place of highest honor. Because he embraced the life of, of humility and, and serving people, God makes him great. So God, today, as we sing, as we pray, as we remember you, God, we want to praise you like we, like we should. <clears throat> Help us. God, I, I pray for the success of families, of finances, of companies, of, of everything here, God. I pray for that for these men and women that are here today. God, we don't want to screw it up. So keep us wildly humble in the midst of our wild success.